Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am Bernard Beitman, MD, your host. I'm a psychiatrist. I study the mind and the brain in its physical and cultural contexts. Meaningful coincidences like synchronicity and serendipity provide clues to how our brains and minds work. Well, what I find is that our brains and minds are deeply connected to other people, to nature and our environment, as well as our bodies. Now, they ain't these separate islands so that uh, we've been taught to believe. Uh, separateness is a fine delusion because it's so uh, convincing, but it's not true. Uh, meaningful coincidences occur in all aspects of human life. You just need to expect them, they're around. Uh, it's just that we've been trained not to pay attention to them. I am the founder of the Coincidence Project. The Coincidence Project is composed of 15 coincidence ambassadors who are synchronicity experts from around the world. Each coincidence ambassador has appeared on this show. Our primary mission is to encourage you to tell each other your coincidence stories. Why? because synchronicities illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unify us. Yes, synchronicities illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unify us. You can join us, the Coincidence Ambassadors on Clubhouse, which is primarily an audio only conversation platform. You can download the Clubhouse app to your phone. Our club, The Coincidence Project, meets every Friday for an hour beginning at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Come visit us and tell us your coincidence stories. Remember, that's 1 p.m. every Friday on Clubhouse. And please like and subscribe to us on the buttons below. It really helps get the messages out. Our guest today is Cassandra Veaton who is Director of Research and Associate Scientist at the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at the University of California, San Diego. She is also Executive Director of the John W. Brick Mental Health Foundation and a Senior Fellow at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where she served as President for from 2013 to 2019. Welcome, welcome to the show, Cassie. Great to see you. Thank you. You're welcome. And you've told me you've got hundreds and hundreds of them, these coincidence stories. Why don't you tell us one of your best ones? Well, sure. I mean, yeah, when I say I have hundreds, I definitely have hundreds from my life, but I've also got hundreds from all of the people that we have studied, uh, primarily through my work at the Institute of Noetic Sciences, where we talk to people about transformative experiences that changed their lives 
to ones that were more rich with meaning and joy and purpose. So one of mine that I remember quite clearly that was probably one of my first big ones was I was in school as a becoming a psychotherapist, at least I thought at the time. And I was taking a class in sand tray. And if you've ever heard of that, it's a Jungian based kind of a play therapy, although it's also for adults. And it involves having a, a literal tra a tray of sand in the middle of the room and having shelves that are full of miniatures that kids or adults will arrange in the sand tray. And rather than interpreting it, the psychotherapist will help uh, the participant explore what these things might symbolize. And over the course of weeks, you see this interesting increasing coherence or um, integration of these sand tray scenes that people do. So I was in the sand tray training class and part of the training was to work with each other. And they asked, choose one of the figures off the shelves. And there were probably a thousand figurines. And I chose this little figurine that had, was a, looked like a mythical creature. Uh, it had the legs of a lion and the head of an eagle and wings. I didn't know what it was called at the time. So I put it there and, you know, the therapist said, you know, this is a griffin and this is a mythological figure. So the body of a lion, the wings and head and beak of an eagle. So we talked a lot about that. And at the time I was trying to make a decision about something that I, a practice that I was wondering if I should join in or not. I was kind of back and forth. And so we talked about this little symbol. And as we continue to talk about it, I thought, wow, this is really leaning toward making me want to say yes to this decision. So I left the room, uh, opened the door, got in my car and a gigantic Mack truck, semi truck blocked my way. And on the side was emblazoned a gigantic Griffin with the words underneath Griffin Industries. And I thought, okay, that is my sign. You know, I think it's a definite yes. Yeah. Uh, the eagle and the lion. Uh, are symbols in, in astrology and, and mythically, as you're talking about, the two of them uh, are both uh, in astrology fixed signs. Mm. Uh, the lion, the a fixed uh, fire sign, and uh, the eagle, um, one of the Scorpio variations, uh, a fixed Scorpio thing. Uh, so uh, whether or not you, you put it together with astrology, but to have those two uh, ancient symbols uh, right there together for mm -hmm. you smash in front of that truck um, <laughs> that's me to wonder what meaning that particular griffin had besides confirmation that you mm. should make that decision yeah i can't remember all of it but it definitely had something to do with the grounding on earth and then the open you know the sort of wisdom of the heavens you know having a uh, bird's eye view and being able to see for miles and see patterns, but also staying very grounded on the earth. Also symbols of um, strength and freedom and things like that. So liberation. Liberation. Yeah. 
liberation while having your feet on the ground. And what better description of the kind of work you do? (laughs) Right, right. Because you're grounded in regular research and have your mind out there and imagination and other places. So it's- Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I've always been very driven to take these vast and metaphysical, mystical, enchanting experiences and then apply the scientific method to them. And throughout my career, I've been told by scientists, you can't do that. Those topics are unscientific. And I've been told by the mystics, you can't do that. You can't reduce these things into a spreadsheet or a set of numbers. And I believe both of them. And it, and yet I feel completely driven to do it, which I, for me has, has unlocked a lot of um, interesting understandings or theories at least about the nature of reality and human potential. One of my favorite phrases, the nature of reality. Um, that's why I'm into the coincidence business because coincidences have for much of humankind's history served as ways to figure out what's going on around here. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, those two things happen. Maybe there's some relationship between the two of them, even though mm-hmm. I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. And, and that also reminds me of the phrase, um, the aims of religion and the methods of science. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, overused, but the quote I attributed to Einstein that, you know, science without religion is dead and religion without science is lame or something along those lines, but um, that these ways of knowing the world, the external way of knowing the world and the internal way of knowing the world, these are two sides of the same coin. They're not, they don't live in different parts. You know, they're really connected. Uh, You're implying, and I think correctly, that mystics tend to be inner, inner directed, inner involved. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I think um, some mystics tend towards the more transcendent where the body and the world is sort of a inconvenient illusion, you know, that needs to be transcended. And others are extremely embodied. And I think I tend towards the second, at least in this incarnation, um, that we have bodies, we have a world, we have um, life, and that there's something meaningful about having those things. It's not so much about getting out of it, you know. But I heard a great uh, definition the other day that I was surprised I'd never heard before, which was invisible meaning visible in visible within <laughs> and what does one see when with in, in, visible in what, what yeah what, yeah what, what are you what are you referring to well i guess i mean that there's this interior so you know i worked with the noetic sciences with and noetic is a greek word that means the inner form of knowing, intuition, gut feelings, hunches, um, and the subjective experience anyway of the world inside of us, and this relates to imagination as well, the world inside of us is at least as vast as the world outside of us. The territory of consciousness is at least as vast as the territory of physical reality. And yet we 
often, you know, see exploration of physical reality as very important and exploration of interior reality as imaginary, you know, sort of invisible, like these things are not real, they're not important, they're not, um, they're not causal. And I think some of this frontier research is beginning to show and, and well-established mind-body medicine research that what happens interior, in the interior, in our minds, in our consciousness, absolutely affects our own body. It affects our behavior. It affects the people we're around. And it may even affect the physical world. Now, what about that last part? Well, you know, you're going to have Dean Radin on next. So he's going to be one of the world's leading experts in talking about this. Um, I'm more expert in the idea that our belief, our intention, the stories that we tell ourselves uh, change the way our body is functioning. They change the functioning, the default mode functioning of the brain. They can change the structure of the brain when we start to tell ourselves different stories or pay attention in different ways. This is well understood research from, let's say, the mindfulness literature where we know right now that if we sit and pay attention to our breathing and our body sensations for 20 minutes a day, in other words, we turn our attention inward, that that changes the function of the brain. It changes even the structure of the brain, the density of neurons, um, our hormones, our immunity levels. And so this is telling us with a very simple practice of changing the way we pay attention and turning it interior, interiorly for, is that a word? Uh, turning it toward the interior for even just a few minutes a day makes a big difference. So what other frontiers might there be in consciousness? Um, I'm also working right now with the Psychedelics and Health Research Initiative at UC San Diego. And of course, many, many people have described exploration of consciousness through psychedelic agents as, you know, finding whole worlds of inside that hadn't been, they, that they had never encountered before. And how, how does the Arthur C. Clarke focus on imagination fit? Well, yeah, this? I've been so lucky because as you know, the Institute of Noetic Sciences was founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell, who was the sixth person to walk on the moon. And somewhat before that, and really confirmed by his flight back from the moon to Earth, he had a deep understanding of the absolute crucial um, need to understand consciousness, that when you look at how people treat each other on the planet, it mostly comes from how we view things. And when we have a mistaken or limited view of how things work, then we have um, unskillful ways of behaving towards the planet and towards each other. Um, so I got to work with Edgar uh, pretty closely and became friends and that was really wonderful. He passed away a few years ago now. And when I left IONS, I thought, well, I don't know if I'll ever find anything as cool as that. And then I found the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination, which was um, initially uh, created by the Clarke Foundation. Uh, most of your listeners will recognize Arthur C. Clarke as the author of 2001, A Space Odyssey. 
one of the greatest science fiction books and movies of all time, um, but also 50 other science fiction novels. And in many of those, there were visions of the future or visions of parallel universes um, where not only were there these amazingly creative ideas and speculations about what could be, but also leading to very real inventions. Um, and so, you know, Clark discovered the gra Clark gravitational orbit and things that ended up being true in physical reality. So the center at UCSD for human imagination really looks at the fundamental role that imagination plays in advancing human progress and evolution. We know that we need our imaginations, almost every innovation, every discovery, every building that was ever built started in someone's imagination. Uh, every solution to a major societal problem started in someone's imagination. So you could say that imagination is our most valuable natural resource. And yet there's just not a lot of attention to it in science or in education. In fact, our education system sort of um, kind of works often to make children less imaginative by these, you know, standardized tests. And there's only one out of these four answers. And so, you know, we really want to elevate imagination as this crucial human skill and resource. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, how, how do meaningful coincidences and imagination fit together for you? Well, first of all, I think most Many people, when they hear about meaningful coincidences or synchronicities, would say that's just a that's just a, a coincidence. It's meaningless, and it may even be imaginary, you know. And imaginary, in that sense, having a pejorative meaning, you know, saying it's not real, it's false, it's fake, it's imaginary. When um, you know, these things that a lot of people have synchronicities that are, that do take place in their imagination or in their deeper consciousness. So sometimes it's like the one I shared where the griffin was the figure in the sand tray and the griffin was the picture on the truck. But much more often people just are thinking about something that they haven't thought about in a long time. You know, I'm thinking about elephants and this time I went riding on an elephant in India and then I'm watching the news and all of a sudden there's a special on elephants. You know, these things happen very often between the imagination and the external world. And so I think it's absolutely fundamental to understand that the realm of imagination might be a very powerful link to the external world. And these coincidences might be trying to give us clues, like, you know, hello, it's linked, you know, like every time it happens, uh, you know, that there's like a chink in the matrix and it's trying to tell us, hey, there's something bigger going on here. And yeah. Yeah, it is. And that's, that they uh, illuminate the invisible currents that connect and unite us, not only with each other, but with uh, our natural world. Mm -hmm. And you're talking about a, a subset of like media mind connections, mm -hmm. uh, which are happening more often than uh, before because there's more media out there mm -hmm. and we're mm -hmm. influenced. So the media 
like social media tends to like put in front of our minds what we've already been looking for mm-hmm. now oh look at the surprise so making the distinction between what they're trying to get us to buy right um, versus something that really means something to you that kind of happened out of no place right uh, is like i was trying to figure out um a way of understanding uh um what i call human gps uh which yeah. is psi mediated instrumental responses from rex stanford's mm-hmm. kind of work where mm-hmm. where psi abilities allow you to get where you need to go without knowing how you got there you kind of intuitively get there where you need to go. So I was trying to figure that out uh, from a, how the brain might help me understand it. And then uh, I happened, I was stuck with that and I'm writing this first book and there was, look at the New York Times online and there are grid cells in the hippocampus that have something to do with location and physical space that helps rats move around and expand that to other people. So sometimes you get information that you're really looking for, uh, like a library angel was the old name for it. Um, and they happen all the time. So the, the idea that you're saying uh, that there is much more connection between our minds and external reality it's not external as much as we think it is right and that's we got to get we got to get to that uh we got to get to believe that what's the you've run into a lot of people not wanting to think that there is that connection uh the favorite ones are statisticians particularly who know it's all random and have their ways of talking about uh the law of very large numbers yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's upon us who are fascinated by this topic to also bring a critical perspective to it, just like you just said that, you know, um, even some, um, you know, patterns of mental suffering, you know, mental disorders can be grounded in people seeing too many connections that are not really there. So there can be a painful shadow aspect to, Um, imagining connections that are not real. Um, However, it seems clear to me from the number of stories that I've heard, I mean, we're talking in the hundreds, maybe even thousands, and my own experiences, that there is something going on here. And there hasn't been anywhere near enough science yet to look at this. And problematically, the kind of science that needs to be done costs money and it's very difficult to get grants for this kind of work because it's controversial. And that's why I think the Institute of Noetic Sciences is so important that it's always on the frontier really looking at this stuff. Um, nowadays, we can do more citizen science, um, which is, you know, if you're not familiar with the term, it comes from people who are mostly naturalists who are outside in their yard and we say, you know, hey, would you mind counting the number of geese that go overhead for the next two hours so that we can get a clear sense of the size of the migration. But we can also do this in the inner world. And so there's some very interesting new, um, you know, mobile technologies and online technologies that let people report on their synchronous experiences. Um, Problematically, we have to rely on people's subjective understandings and that makes science tricky to do but it doesn't make it impossible 
that's why I like to collect stories. Yeah. And I'm looking for money support to look for patterns in mm -hmm. the hundreds and hundreds of coincidence stories that I have that are out there. Mm -hmm. They have to be collected and then look for those patterns. Because even though there's, oh, you know, there's going to be a variation, a bell-shaped curve at least, of stuff that's going to be right and stuff that's going to be right on and stuff that's going to be off. But looking for the patterns will help us see just what is going on out there. That's science. Yeah, and from a true science perspective, you know, we should pay attention to anomalies that are um, in conflict with the current way we see reality um, instead of sort of ejecting those as noise or, you know, erratic things that don't make, don't, don't mean anything. But as scientists, we also have to be open to the possibility that these are meaningless coincidences. And that's a hard place to be in when you have personal convictions, when you know that you've had these experiences. Uh, the way I resolve that in my own mind is science is not the only way of knowing the nature of reality. You know, science is one way of knowing about the nature of reality. And so I personally think it's fantastic that you're doing this work. And it is the beginnings of any scientific endeavor we take a natural history approach where we collect hundreds and hundreds of stories and we try to look for patterns in those stories. And that helps us generate scientific hypotheses that then we can test in more controlled conditions. Yeah. And that's what I've done with the second book on meaningful coincidences is as best as I could collected the patterns. I, I like, I like the introductory courses at at Swarthmore, that's what went to school. And because they gave you a broad overview. And that's what this book is intended yeah. to be as a seedbed for potential patterns to be analyzed uh, in more detail and more rigorously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, these ideas have been um, investigated for millennia, you know, that, and before Descartes. I would say for most of the developing developed world, science and mysticism were connected. There wasn't really a big difference between how people look to know reality. So when you look at Hindu theories, for example, of how reality works, they talk about Indra's net or Indra's web. That is a sort of like a three-dimensional spider web that moves in all directions and each point where the threads of the spider web meet is a little jewel or a little dewdrop. And when one aspect of the spider web is moved, everything in the spider web is moved. And I've always loved that metaphor because it does seem to me to be a good way of sort of looking at interconnection between people and objects and the idea that sometimes we're sort of on the thread, you know, and when we're on, let's say our life's purpose or we're in alignment with what the universe wants to happen, or let's even just say we're in alignment with our values and goals, there tend to be more of these connections and synchronicities. And when we're sort of off our path, when we're in the middle between, we're not on any of the threads, we can feel really not connected at all. So I do tend to use these synchronicities as sort of guideposts 
Now that's all very theoretical and subjective, but um, you know, people like Dean Radin and others are beginning to do studies on, you know, can we, if we, if we have that as an underlying theory that there's some fabric of reality and let's say um, using a literal fabric analogy, if you think of a tablecloth and you pull up one part of the tablecloth and that's a little peak, let's say we are all peaks of this tablecloth. You are Bernard, I am, but we're still connected by this underlying fabric. So every now and then something will happen in your mind and I'll be able to perceive the same thing, you know, um, or something will happen in the external world and it'll connect to my world. And so these are, I think these are fascinating ideas that should be, you know, they suggest hundreds of possible experiments that we could do to try to test those. Conceptualizing Indira, Indira's net and uh, the tablecloth, uh, other people have used uh, islands uh, yeah. that were connected mm -hmm. underneath. Uh, I, I'm proposing the use of the word psychosphere uh, mm -hmm. uh, and calling it uh, because it's our mental atmosphere. And we give ideas and energy out into it, kind of like moving a jewel around, and we also take it in. And yeah. we're all, it's like an ocean that we are all like uh, participating in without knowing it. And that's a, that has connections like Indra's web that yeah. coincidences help to illuminate. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's great. Well, good, because that, that uh, I've been, I mentioned to you in one of our emails, the idea of uh, the collective human organism. And uh, the post I'm writing now for Psychology Today uh, is called, Is Humanity Committing Suicide? That's not said that directly that I can see. Somebody, and one of the things I'm learning is if I thought of it, somebody else has thought of it already, so, or is going to think about it. I, that's happened to me several times with the word like psychosphere. Uh, it's, it's been around, but I just saw a post that listed a history of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, it's uh, humbling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's re reinforcing because uh, absolutely, cause yeah. Because I, I don't claim it as uh, mm -hmm. my imagination only. Mm -hmm. I think it. What we're talking about as imagination is imagining the real. That's what Arthur C. Clarke mm -hmm. could do. That mm -hmm. may be imagining the future, but imagining the real. Yeah, and, yeah. And what's real? become something that we can like figure out but we get an idea yeah. from coincidences that can maybe tell us something so the idea right. I, I have and that's what i, I i'm curious about imagining at where you are um imagining that we are all a part of a collective human organism uh that is humanity or humankind and we are because we're doing, we're destroying our habitat, which not too many uh, animals do. And that's what we're doing. And I think of it as an addiction, uh, an addiction to material consumption, much like an alcoholic is drinking, 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 and destroying what's around him or her, and not paying attention to people saying, no, you got a problem here. So I'm interested in defining the cells of this human organism, which coincidences can help us do because 
What is your role, Cassie? What is my role in this? Where do we fit into this, this organism of which we are a part, if we recognize it, with our individuality, as well as our contributions to the whole thing? Coincidences. Your, your, go ahead. Um, I think they your sound. Your sound is getting a little strange. Oh, that's odd. Keep going, but it's yeah. Going how's this now? Yeah. Let me see. Um, You're okay now. Okay, good. Let me know if it changes again. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think these synchronicities and coincidences can often change people's worldviews and perspectives. And most of the time, if people aren't kind of hip to them, they just ignore them. You know, they say, oh, that was weird, you know, or that was a strange coincidence. Um, but then sometimes they can really um, break through the sleeping, the dream. They can break through being asleep and someone says, okay, look, now that is so meaningful. That coincidence is so meaningful. I cannot any longer ignore that something about what I've been taught about how things work, this mechanistic view and this separatist view, um, dualistic view is not true. And there was a, um, you probably know about Michael Shermer, who is a sort of professional skeptic, you know, he's very skeptical mind. I think he is like the chair of the skeptic society or the editor of skeptics magazine. And so he had been for years and years, you know, trying to fight the good fight of, you know, anti metaphysical, you know, not taking, not letting metaphysics um, contaminate society. And um, he was, his wife's father passed away and he was on either on his way to the funeral or on his way back from the funeral. And he went into his office and he kept hearing this music or this sound and he could not figure out for the life of him what was going on. You know, he checked his phone, his TV, his radio. So finally he noticed it was coming from a drawer in his desk and he pulled it open and it was a like a tr old transistor radio that his wife's father had given him that he had always meant to kind of fix or tinker with that hadn't worked. And now it was just playing. And to give Michael Shermer credit, he wrote an article on this and kind of confessed like, look, you know, I've been a skeptic, but even I cannot ignore this like that. I can't explain. It turned, the thing turned on at the moment they were getting married. Mm, uh, is that because, right? Yeah. Because she has, wife wanted her grandfather to be there i and, see and that give was her away good, so, good. so it yeah. made it even more entropic uh in, yeah. the, in the improbability of it uh yeah and, and it did change his mind for a while but then he kind of backed away from oh yeah it. yeah he did yeah yeah but i i thought it was good that he at least wrote an article about it and said okay look i've i've had one too now you know yes he has he's had a bunch of them but he's had mm -hmm. a but he we can't really do guys like him. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, one of the things that I've recognized is people have fixed beliefs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And more, more, more often, the older they get, the more fixed they get. It's not mm -hmm. only that, but mm -hmm. they get fixed beliefs. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm in the business of recognizing when I'm talking to someone who's going to say, no, I don't think what you're talking about is right. Uh, it's, it's not my view of things. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about with the collective human organism. I don't want to think that I am committing suicide by the way I am acting. It's a huge denial despite the evidence. And we're showing evidence in that direction with your work, the noetic sciences work, that there is a connection between our mind and what's around us with our, our collective minds and what's around us. Yeah. And that's the big leap that we're all trying to break down. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, the, I think you're on the right track. And there's also sort of the flip side, which is um, we've sort of disenchanted our world to an extent. And I feel so lucky that I get to be in these very privileged settings, these rarefied settings where we're talking about imagination and space and the stars and astronauts and interior. So, you know, my life is full of this rich content, but the vast majority of people um, are living, um, you know, they say something like 70 to 80% of teenagers are what would we'd call chronically disengaged, you know, which means not really excited about anything, not really super fascinated or interested by much. Um, that's, this is a huge problem. And this is true for adults as well, you know, that there's this I had a friend call it weapons of mass distraction that, you know, um, it's become about work, internet, TV, sleep, eat, work, internet, TV, sleep, work, internet, TV. Um, now, I don't want to be too far in that. Everybody has family and love and, you know, there are, everybody has the ability to have meaning in their lives. But I do think that we could do better at re-enchanting our world, at bringing in creativity, imagination, speculation, art, culture, science, you know, and, and I do think that um, when we pay attention to these things, synchronicities happen more often. And my taking off my scientist hat and putting on my uh, other human being hat, you know, I believe that the when that happens, it's the universe sort of telling us like, yes, you're on the right track. You know, like if I turn my attention toward how I can help people, if I turn my attention toward what I can explore, follow my fascination, ask questions from pe of, of people that I don't understand rather than judging them or condemning them. What you'll notice is over time, you'll be more in touch with this both your individual reality and the interconnected reality, because both are true, at least during the time we're alive in this world. I remember a quote from Suzuki Roshi, and it was very simple in true Zen fashion. It said, not two, not one. Not two, not one. And we believe what he meant by that was we are not separate. We are not separate. We are all interconnected, inter, inter, interdependent, um, and we have an individual self, and we are. And 
having the connection between those two and being able to navigate seamlessly between the two and dance with the interconnected nature of reality and my individual purpose is part of the, the uh, purpose of life, you know? And so I feel like when we're seamlessly transitioning between those two ways of being and between the internal and external, we'll have more of these coincidences and synchronicities saying, yeah, 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 you're getting it. You got it, you know? Precisely what I am doing. Precisely what I am doing. Uh, how to be able to hold in mind that we're part of something, a oneness, and that mm-hmm. we also have our individuality. Mm-hmm. And we have such polarity built into us with dark and light, and mm. sun and moon, sun and moon, and, 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 and black and white. We have that. Mm-hmm. It has to be one or the other mm-hmm. in this world, and it's it's dra- built into us to mm-hmm. it's survival to notice that there are polarities, but to be able to put the two together. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, I mean, I think first. The, for me, the platform originally is mindfulness because, um, you know, the mind, so the way our mental, our minds, the way we think is only one mode of being and it's only one source of information. Now, the way we have trained our children and ourselves right now in the history of our world um, is that the mind is dominant. The mind is the most important. It's the, people might even say it's the only important thing is how we think about things, but the mind is actually quite limited. It knows how to categorize. It knows how to compare. It knows how to plan. It knows how to reflect. It knows how to simulate. It knows how to tell stories. These are all amazing. Like they're all up here in the frontal cortex, right? Plan, reflect, simulate, all of these things. But that is only one mode. There's another mode of being, of feeling, of intuiting. There's visceral and kinesthetic intelligence. There's gut intelligence. And all of these forms of knowledge for many are like atrophied muscles, you know, it's like, I think Sir Ken Robinson said, you know, that many see the body as a vehicle to carry their brain around, you know, to carry their mind around. So all of the practices that we recommend engaging in um, spiritual practices, transformative practices, creativity, earthing, forest bathing, time, you know, hundreds of them, are meant to try to create a connection between the inner world, the spiritual world, and the physical or thinking mind world, the logical world. You know, we used to say you have to spend more time in your right brain, you know, or you have to develop your corpus callosum so you're more, you know, now they know it's not really living. That's a little oversimplified, but it was still the same idea. Like we've got to spend more time in the being mode and the wondering and awe and exploration and feeling mode in addition to the thinking, logic, categorizing, comparing, dualistic mode, the more time we spend in these other territories, the more we can seamlessly move between these different modes of being and have a much more complete understanding of ourselves and the world. 
Yeah. And right right now, today, and talking with you particularly, but a little bit has been going on, I am seeing inside of me a, a very large burst of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's, I can feel it as we're talking. I'm really caught mm-hmm. up with how you're talking, but this anxiety mm-hmm. in me has disturbed my sleep, relayed, raised my blood pressure at night. Mm-hmm. And it's a curious thing to be happening, uh, uh, particularly now. And it's happening mm-hmm. now, partly because my book is going to get published. Mm-hmm. I have done the work now. It's marketing. Partly this coincidence project has um, is taken off right now. I mean, it's, we're going to get a website that it's real now. It wasn't, mm-hmm. a, I imagined something like this. With yeah. somebody and, and there it is. And they're, they're doing it more and more without me. The, yeah. book, the book doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. My younger son has needed some financial support. Mm-hmm. He's not going to need that uh, anymore. So I think my anxiety is telling me, uh, where do you go with this now? Mm, well, mm. you're you're like adrift now because mm. needing feeling needs has been such a thing for mm. you mm. and it's there's no there's there's nobody who needs me uh-huh. in the way that it did before because i liked imagining and then helping it make helping it happen yeah but here i am a guy who's imagined running for the opening kickoff for a touchdown, hitting the first pitch for a home run, both in big games. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I've had that experience of being president of student council in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could like imagine that and, and do the campaign. So I can imagine. And now I'm not, I've left with some, with nothing to imagine mm-hmm. of the ways that I have done it before. Yeah. And I think you're not alone in that. You know, there are many, many people, um, first of all, in the process of growing older, this is a common thing that happens for people that they're like, okay, so it's all been about manifesting or caring for what the heck do I do now? You know, now that I've manifested, now that I've launched everybody, what is it now? But also everyone, I mean, especially post-pandemic, where people did get very shifted in their understanding of, wait, I don't have to actually commute into work every day and sit at a desk all day long. And I might never have to do that again. Or guess what? Everyone in my family doesn't have to work full time. If we all collaborate, a couple of us cannot have to work that way. And there's been huge seismic shifts in, and, and the negatives, anxiety, fear, depression, feeling very disconnected, not being able to see grandparents and loved ones and, you know, touch other people and be in the room with other people. And I think people shouldn't underestimate the level of abnormality that is like, we have been in a very abnormal state for the last two years of disconnection, as well as having tons of time for creative opportunity and, you know, different, different things for different people. So it's a real turning point. And yeah, so what do you think? Uh, You know, the one thing that comes to mind for me with you is you're leaving a legacy with this project. And do people move into kind of a bigger, bigger picture, more patterned thinking, um, mentoring role? Or is there any other legacy left that you need to build? And 
spending more time in your imagination. Here's one thing I'd say is sometimes we think of imagining something as kind of like a vision board, right? So we say, what do I want to envision in my future? What are the things I want? And then we lock onto them and we try to make them manifest. And that can be really useful, but it also can be very useful to open our imaginations as wide as possible and wait for an idea to come knocking that wants to be born through us. So we open our realm of possibility. We say, okay, I'm ready for an idea to come through me. And I, Elizabeth Gilbert is, you know, the woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and also some really amazingly even better novels. She says ideas have spirits and they run around looking for people to manifest them and they knock on people's doors. And, you know, if you're open and one knocks on your door, you better be careful because if you make a commitment to it, you know, it's like getting married sort of, and you have a responsibility to carry it through. So maybe it's a, this, this sort of open receptive imagination is also a form of imagination. Well, that, that I, I have a quote like that from her in my meaningful coincidence book, because I believe the psychosphere exists and the ideas are floating around in there. Right. And if you don't grab it to the other side of that, if you don't grab yeah. it, then somebody else is going to do That's it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and that, she had this great coincidence. I mean, did you hear the story that she had of having this fully formed novel that she wrote down most of the pieces of in a prospectus, then she got distracted and never finished it. And she had a colleague and they wrote the novel, the same novel. And she called them and said, I have to share these few pages with you that I wrote. I mean, it's exactly what you wrote. That's the one that I've got yeah. in my book. Yeah, yeah, that's the one, and it's to illustrate the ideas floating around. Mm -hmm. What what I appreciate uh, very much from you, and we have about five minutes left. Yeah, what I appreciate. Bernard, let me. Can I pause this for one minute? I have an unexpected visitor. Um, just one minute. Okay, I'll let me pause this thing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. As we were talking. Um, about the ideas of uh, being out there that uh, I appreciate your putting me in context because uh, I tend to be very introspective and think my own mind, but mm. I need to be able to get out of myself more. When you're saying open up your mind and what mm. I've been trying to tell you some about in the post I'm writing is about this collective human organism and mm -hmm. suicide. Mm -hmm. It's like being a psychiatrist for the planet mm -hmm. because I am thinking about a psychotherapy mm -hmm. for the collective human organism. I love that. What would it be? What would it consist of? It's, it's consists of starting with uh, the stages of change Prochaska, mm -hmm. Declementi, yes, yeah, where, yeah. where the people are 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 in a pre-contemplative stage, yeah. And the first step is to get them to do like alcoholics, yeah. Say I'm an alcoholic to be able to yeah. move from that. To say I'm a, I'm a I'm a greedy materialist to be able to <laughs> to be able to say that's yeah. me, uh, and that's a big big step. Yeah, there's so many reasons to want to keep going the same way. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that's the beginning of it. And then 
The rest of it has to do with developing a collective self-observer, mm-hmm. much like the individual ones. Yes. Where we're looking at the human mind collectively mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to be able to imagine a future for yeah. humanity. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Well, that's what I have in mind, but that's somehow not enough. Somehow this mm-hmm. anxiety is like, um, it's like, it's cultural. It's what's going on right now. It's yes, almost like I've yes. been exposed to what the anxiety that's out there because I yeah. don't have all my things that I'm doing. Um, yeah. That uh, to see my younger son being able to take control of his life after so many years of not, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and my older son doing fine with his family, uh, yeah. that there's this kind of, existential angst of like yes. what is this that i'm yeah. going to do well in in your phrasing then it's almost like we are uh humanity is in a midlife crisis you know humanity is in a midlife crisis and we have one of our our research on how people transform their lives to lives that are more rich and meaningful and service oriented altruistic empathic compassionate joy filled is that, you know, people have, um, oh gosh, I lost my train of thought. Um, Oh, people run into crisis and they have a branching point. So they can either become constricted, more fearful, more anxious, more negative, um, or they can kind of expand. And so one of the things I recommend to you and your listeners when you feel this way is to literally put yourself in front of large vistas, um, open your aperture, do things that force your peripheral vision to open wide, that open your heart. So it could be going to an ocean, it could be going to a forest, going to a place that has a large view, even on a television or a screen, you can expose yourself to this kind of imagery. If you have a virtual reality headset, you can go into virtual reality and be anywhere in space in front of the Grand Canyon and do some of your open awareness practices there. Because what sometimes needs to happen is an internal spaciousness. So usually when we get anxious, we narrow, you know, we try to figure it out. We try to logic it or we try to ruminate about it and go over things over and over again. When really what we need is to dial it open, you know, we need to dilate and then just be and just be for as long as it takes for an image to come or a metaphor or a story this is what you could call intentional coincidence that you don't wait for a coincidence to hit you. You intentionally open yourself to meaningful information coming to you. I have a set of trees, uh, three of them that I go visit uh, every other week, pretty much. Yeah. I've had dialogues with them. That's uh, great. We have conversations, but for the first time, last time I meditated somewhere near there, I hadn't mm. done that before. So mm. I think you're telling me uh, that that's, I want to do that again. You're encouraging me to do yeah. that because it, you're right about your mind that gets freer out there in the forest. Yeah. It's it like 
they talked to me. The forest kicked me out of there one time because I was too much thinking about it. A lot of, yeah. I've had a lot of adventures in that forest with those trees. Uh, but this anxiety is interesting now. It's like, yeah, it's like, to be explored because as we mm-hmm. end, I will suggest to you that in times of transition, life transition, high emotion and need, coincidences are more likely to happen. I agree. Yeah. Especially if you intentionally stay open. Especially. So I think I might just do that. (laughs) Great. Well, what a pleasure to talk to you, Bernard. Thank you. You're welcome, Cassie. Uh, I love doing imagination with you. Imagination is funny. It makes a rainy day sunny. It's an old song. So (laughs) So thank you for bringing some sunshine into my life. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. This psychosphere is our mental atmosphere, like a hologram of cosmic consciousness.